temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Mr. Fry, let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Along with figuring out what role Acme has played in building the Bulls, what did the players do to build this roster that has them atop the Eastern Conference? Brandon ran across an interview that Jake Fisher did with Zach Levine. He's like, you should read this. So I read it, and then we were both like, we should probably talk with him about it because there's some really interesting stuff in there. You can read the story at Bleacher Report. You can also... Check out Jake's book that he's written about the NBA, and it's fairly significant right now. It's called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. He's nice enough to join me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. <laughs> Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Jake, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate it. You got it. Thank you guys for the kind introduction. How are you? I'm doing really well. Let's, let's talk about your interview. I do want to talk about your book, but let's talk about the interview with Zach Levine. I, I thought it was interesting some of the roads that you went down with him in, in the building of the Bulls. So from what he was able to tell you, how big of a role did he play in in helping secure some of the sign and trade and free agency moves that the Bulls did? Well, listen, I think the way the NBA is structured now, I think Joe Sy with the Brooklyn Nets, their owner, said this on the record. Um, in the, the aftermath of their James Harden Ben Simmons trade, that, that working with these superstars is, is a partnership and not um, really like an employee type of situation that we had in, in years past. And I do think that with Zach, I mean, the word all along about Chicago Brass when Arturis Karnasovas took over um, in, I believe it was April 2020, that, you know, they had this this young all-star type player who was up for a massive contract extension this summer, and they needed to not only build a playoff team around him, but they also wanted to see him in a postseason environment before giving him that money. So when you, when that, you factor all those things together, for him to – from the Bulls to land DeMar, when, when DeMar is talking to LeBron and Anthony Davis at the Lakers, and he definitely had his sights set on the Knicks in the Eastern Conference, to get him to go to a team that already has Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine, and they were 
you know, their interest in Lonzo Ball was was known around the league dating back to last year's trade deadline. Like, I think it's a good sign for Bulls fans that their 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 incumbent superstar in Zach Levine is kind of aligned with the front office and and going to pursue those types of players. I I do too, and and that was one of the interesting parts of it because I I think that a a lot of us were like, well, how does De, how is Demar going to fit and morph his game? And one of the the things that you talk about with Zach is how Zach was able to morph and fit his game to what DeMar is. What stood out to you in what he said about making it work with two guys that do like to have the ball in their hands? Yeah, I think with with Zach, from people I've known around the the team for a while, they were always wondering about um, his willingness to commit on the defensive side of the ball and, and what that factor was in his team. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if this is for for a hundred percent certain, but I do believe off the top of my head of all active players who have not made the playoffs, Zach's the leading scorer in the NBA right now. So to, to really make a change in, in terms of a winning environment, he had to commit defensively. And I, I was really interested to hear him talk about how the Olympic team really colored our perspective too, being that we've seen it throughout the course of recent NBA history, back to that 2010 FIBA team where Kevin Durant took over and Andre Iguodala kind of cemented himself as being like a real superstar role player type guy to, before he joined the Warriors. Like we've seen Team USA not only be a catalyst for, you know, KD and Kyrie and DeAndre Jordan coming together in Brooklyn or, you know, the talk of that, LeBron, Wade, Bosch, Triumvirate, and Miami coming coming to fruition first back in the 2012 um, in the 2012 Olympics in, in China. That, that playing with those guys and playing with the superstars, it, it gives these guys an opportunity to see how their skill sets mesh with other players of that regard. Um, and it just seems also that, I mean, Demar of course has made it to the conference finals a handful of times, but Nick Vucevic with the Magic. Never really made it out of the never made it out of the first round. Zach's never made the playoffs. Lonzo Ball hasn't had uh, postseason success. It's really only been Alex Caruso who's been there at the end of the day. So I think all these guys have kind of come together and said, "We're going to figure this out because this is our best situation to win." Are you surprised that it's working? I'm not. I, I was definitely really bullish on the Bulls, pun intended, when they kind of did their big splurge in the offseason. Being that. Um, I mean, I think the biggest pushback people had said around the league was that DeMar and Nick Vucevic both like to operate out of the high posts. And I just thought, well, there's two posts, and the best offenses from what I've heard from coaches around the league, they talk about how the best half-court offenses utilize both sides of the court, and there's different pick-and-roll pairings you can do now. Or, um, you know, Lonzo is an off-ball guy, even as much as he's a point guard, and he was shooting 40% from three off of Zion and Brandon Ingram doing very on-ball stuff in New Orleans. Like, I just thought it was a very strong collection of talent. The defense was what I was most concerned with, but clearly, you know, Javante Green and Lonzo and Caruso, when they've been healthy, have just kind of uh, really band-aided a lot of any of those questions. Yeah, it, it's kind of amazing what, what we've seen happen. And they're not the only team. Like, there's a bunch of teams in the NBA that have been struggling with injuries, but it felt like this needed to be like a Justice League type deal where everyone had to be a part of making the Bulls a, a team that's at the top of the Eastern Conference. And guys have been in and out of this thing. The constant has been DeMar. 
when when they made the signing of DeMar, there were a lot of people, and you make mention of it in your conversation with Zach, that thought, wow, you know, this money's kind of big. Like, how is all of this stuff going to work? Are we seeing the best version of DeMar DeRozan, which would be weird considering that he's 32 years old? I mean, he was, he was this good in San Antonio. I just think he was stuck on a team that was losing a lot of games and they were a much smaller market, and no one really understood how good he was down there. I mean, not to say that you know, I knew better than other people, other people knew better than other people, but I, I sure as hell wasn't watching the Spurs every single game during his tenure there, but you could just see when they came up on league pass against another interesting team or their random nights where they actually came. I'm based in New York, so we got two teams that they could come play here. Um, you could just see that he was kind of operating – at a different pace and a different kind of dominance in the half court, being that he, he was in a kind of a timeshare with the ball with Kyle Lowry in Toronto. And it worked obviously very, very well to the point where they made multiple conference uh, finals runs. But I think with him, really, he was basically the Spurs point guard. At all. He was averaging like eight assists a game one season there. So I just thought that he was going to be able to – figure out a way to be that score within a team construct because he was kind of doing that in San Antonio. Jake Fisher is my guest. You should check out his book built to win slash lose the, how the NBA is taking air <laughs> changed the league forever. When considering that you wrote this book, what last year came out May, 2020, May, 2021. Yep. What do you think of what the end result has been for Philadelphia and kind of the weird way that they've gotten to this point? I think, you know, the biggest theme with team building is that you try to assemble as much talent and hopefully complementary talent as you can. But ultimately, if you, if you are successful in doing that, it gets expensive very quickly. And there are mechanisms in place in the CBA um, that, make it difficult to have success while also staying relatively cheap to operate. And I think relating it to Chicago, that's ultimately what this is all going to come down to being that, I mean, if Zach makes all NBA, like we wrote in the article, he's going to end up being eligible for a five-year $245 million contract. They're going to, I mean, if Pat Williams becomes what they want him to become, he's going to have to get paid to while DeMar and, um, and Lonzo are still on the books. I mean, Vucevic's deal comes up relatively soon, and that is, I think, part of this whole equation, too, being that he can potentially alleviate their salary book moving forward. But that's the, the, the next evolution of the Bulls' transaction game here, is, is how can you continue to have this level of success while still maintaining flexibility to get better while you're in the cap and paying or in the tax and paying massive tax amounts, because that, that's ultimately where you know, the Lakers are stuck right now, that they've got this, you know, very, very expensive older team and not much room to improve it. No, they, they don't. And what being that you, you, you even asked Zach a little bit about Zion and that commercial they did, which I think is hilarious. Are, <laughs> Thank you. are you surprised that, that we are in this place where, Everyone kind of thought when the ping pong balls didn't fall the right way that Zion wasn't going to New York. Like, oh, well, you know, he could build his career out in New Orleans and then kind of figure out what he wants to do after that. Are you surprised that it's gotten 
at least over the last couple of weeks, a little sour for for Zion and people kind of questioning whether he's trying to talk his way or not play his way out of New Orleans. Yeah, the Zion, that's why I asked Zach, because there aren't many people in the NBA right now who are in frequent contact, uh, contact with him. So, I mean, and we talked from your very first question about Zach being able to recruit tomorrow. Like a lot of these superstar, superstar friendships, relationships, they stem from being two Nike guys or going to the Olympics like we talked about or even filming a commercial together. Um, so I was curious if they had maintained some type of contact. And, I mean, Zach's basic response was like, Zion? Me and Zion? No. Like, why would I be? Um, which I thought was, yeah, funny, but also, like, kind of telling that he has – I mean, Pelicans staffers have struggled to, to really keep tabs on him this year. Um, they're kind of deferring to him now in terms of the timeline and when he comes back. I don't know if the New York exit ramp is, is really that legitimate at present. I mean, it's certainly a, a boogeyman moving out there for Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns and all those, all three of those guys seem to be in really good situations where they're at. So Zion would seem to be the one CAA client who's obviously, you know, kind of not really entrenched in the, strong, successful situation, but he's also, I mean, people are starting to talk about him as potentially Greg Oden 2.0. So is he a gamble that the Knicks even want to take right now? I, I don't, I don't have that answer. As someone who is based in New York, how excited are you about the Eastern conference playoffs? Now, when the bubble happened and the playoffs were starting at like two in the afternoon, I remember saying to myself, I'm going to watch every single game because when is there going to be a moment where, there's really nothing else on my docket and these games are on all day and you can watch every single game. I'm going to come close this year. I mean, the first round is going to be a, a, a blood fest. The fact that like you're going to have probably two of Brooklyn, Toronto, Boston, Cleveland, Milwaukee, like two of those teams are going to be in the playing tournament. It's, it's going to be absolutely nuts. Yeah, I think it's going to be really wild. Jake, I appreciate the time, man. Thanks, and good luck with the book, man. It seems like a really cool venture that you went on to to try and teach people about how this league is changing. So thanks for your time, and thanks for the great piece on Zach. You got it. Thank you, guys. That's Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report, and the author of Built to Lose. It says win on the book, and there's a slash, and then it puts lose. That's why I said it like that. But you can go get his book if you're interested in learning about how the tanking culture evolved. I, I really, I, I tell you, man, I, I really don't want to talk about baseball, but I kind of feel like we have to today and maybe just today until there's an actual thing that happens. I mean, it's an important day. It's the deadline day. The deadline day. You got to use air quotes, Brandon. It's the deadline day for Major League Baseball. I need to take a break because there. I do now after what Evan tweeted and now that, that according to, and I'm guessing the sources are from the player's side, according to those sources, MLB is taking on a more threatening tone. You better clean your room, mister. I want to talk about this. And it's a very sports radio way to do it, and I usually like bristle against doing it, but I I would like to talk about 
how many games there are in an MLB season. We will do that next here on The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Got clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Like most, but not all people who do this job, I do this job partially because I love sports. I grew up in sports. Baseball was my first like sports memory was watching DePaul basketball, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But baseball was the first sport that I like gravitated to. You know, my grandfather and my father got me my first glove. Like I can... I can remember like breaking in that glove and playing catch with a tennis ball. Cause I think I was four going to games throughout my childhood. My parents were teachers. Occasionally they would get tickets. I'd get tickets for good attendance, like that sort of stuff. And, and we go to games. I remember going to a game with my dad the night that we thought that Burley it was going to be Burley's last start. Like it felt like, he was going to be traded. So we watched him. Like we went, to, I was like, come on, let's go. And and we went to go watch Burley from the bleachers on the south side pitch against Baltimore that night. I really do love baseball. Like I love it. Even though I would never want to cover it full time. Let me be very clear about that. I enjoy parachuting in to cover baseball. Like a, a a day or two a week, like popping in at Wrigley or on the south side. I'm down for that. I enjoy talking to people around baseball. I love spring training. But the people who cover it, my goodness. I football is a much better sport to cover. Just from your time. There's built-in days off. You kind of know what the rhythm of each week is going to be like. 
And even when games go in overtime, you're really only inconvenienced by like, you know, 20 minutes or so. And it's rare that the games go into overtime. The people who cover baseball, I have a special place in my heart. The folks that do it on a day-in, day-out basis. By the way, shout-out to Maddie Lee. You know what, Brandon? Let's get Maddie Lee on at some point this week. Because Maddie Lee, if there is baseball, is now going to be covering the Cubs for the Sun-Times. Because Russ Dorsey went and got himself all the money from the stadium network. So they had an opening, and Maddie Lee jumped right in. And I'm like, yes. So you're going to get some great coverage of the Cubs and the Sun-Times from Maddie Lee. Anyway, when I think about how long the season is just from a working standpoint, I go, eh, they, got, they got too much stuff. Like, they got too many games. There are a lot of traditionalists that be like, well, it has to be 162. That's the real mark of, of how good a team is, and I agree. I, I agree that if a team wins a division, that should be celebrated as a bigger deal than them winning the World Series because the World Series has an element of randomness that a regular season does. But we don't give a damn about the season. We really don't. It's weird because we talk about, can this team win a division? And the team wins a division, you're like, ah, let me put that aside. Can this team win a tournament? Is this team built to win a tournament that has all sorts of randomness in it that isn't going to tell us necessarily who the best team is? There's no good solution to that. It's just the way that it is. It has this long season. It kind of has to have a long season. I just think that there's something to... There's something to the owners being willing to punt on a month of baseball. If what we're hearing from Evan Drylick and every all every Kim Rosenthal and everyone else is down there covering teams, that now the 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 tone is a little harsher that we're at the deadline. I'm using air quotes that for people that aren't on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Chicago six seventy the score. If they're so willing to, if their idea of progress to try and make a, to get a deal done is, well, guys, don't you understand? We get more money out of the playoffs than we do the regular season. When these teams come back, we're going to run back to them. I know that there are a lot of people that are doing the tough talk thing. Like, we're being very blustery about, well, this is really damaging the game. When people say that, and I don't necessarily, well, you know what I do, screw it. I do disagree with them. I think it's, if we weren't on radio, I'd use a different word. But I think that all of this is crap. Well, that's a good word that I can use here. Who are you crapping? But the thing is, is that when you see Tim Anderson again, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm in. When you find out that Aloy is healthy and, and Luis Robert is ready to go. Or, oh, it's Marcus Stroman's first time throwing on the north side. You're going to be back in. So it's, it's weird when people are like, this is damaging the game. I, I think from a macro level, it's damaging. 
I think that it makes it more difficult for them to grow the game out. But I also don't think that baseball's done a great job overall of trying to grow the game in the first place. And what the owners keep telling you is, nope, we want to shrink the game. What are we supposed to take from that? Because I, as, as a fan of baseball, someone who grew up loving baseball, if they said to me today, starting in 2022, the seasons are going to be 135 games long, I'd be like, sounds great. Amen, hallelujah. Because ain't nobody got time for all of that. Baseball has been Americans' companion for a long time. And the relationships that we have and the way that we're connected with baseball is partially because our parents, our grandparents, to a certain extent us, were consuming baseball in a time where there wasn't a lot of other things to consume. So in the, for me, I was born in 75. So if my dad and I are out on a food run, like if we're going to go pick up food or we're just going for a drive and we're listening to a Cubs game on the radio, it's great to do that. when, When I was a kid, that was a great thing to do. Listening to Cubs games on the score. Pat Hughes is incredible. It's great. 162 of them? I'm a man that doesn't have a lot of time for anything else other than what I do. It is a character flaw of mine. I'm, I'm, but I can tell you, even I, the man who doesn't really go and do anything, that has all the time in the world for baseball, even I'm like, so wait, now I can't play softball on Mondays because I got to watch both the Cubs and the White Sox on Mondays? How am I going to catch up? I have ways to catch up. But my point is, I think baseball needs some cataclysmic change. And that's not going to be satisfied in this collective bargaining agreement. I think that baseball has needed to learn how to adapt and grow. And To me, the owners are close to a breakthrough on that, but they can't be honest about it. They don't want these extra 30 games. As much as it it, it means to us, where, oh, there are more opportunities for me to go see the White Sox play because they have an 81-game home schedule. As someone who had season tickets, fam. You know, I got rid of my season tickets for a specific reason last year. I'm not going to get back into that because it's not what I'm talking about here. But before that, there were I could make room to go see 20 games. How many other games does that leave? That leaves 61 games where I now have to be like, well, I, I could sell these tickets or I could give them away. The White Sox are really good about giving you a package. Like, you can kind of build your own package out. But even then, you're like, 
I'm committed to going to games every weekend, like every weekend I'm going to be at the ballpark. I think there needs to be less, but I think that the owners need to be honest about this. This this is some BS that they trying, this game that they're running. This, oh, we'll we'll punt on the first 30 days. And most baseball fans, quiet as it's kept, are like, cool. I don't want to be out there in March anyway. I don't want to be out there in the middle of April anyway in Chicago. You might get lucky. You remember that that St. Patrick's Day we had a couple years ago? It was like 87 degrees. You might get lucky and get you one of those, but realistically, you're going to go to a Cubs night game at the end of April, and it's still going to be cold. I just wish that the owners would be, I, I wish that their, that part of their thing was about loving the game and trying to, trying to bring more people into the tent of baseball. Everything for them, and it's, it's like this for most negotiations. I'm not going to say it's not like this for the players too, but I do feel like the players at least have an attachment to the game that is, that is more appealing to me as a consumer than the owners do. And as the owners, as they posture, and this isn't, Danny and I, Parkinson and I were talking about this a month ago where we were like, yeah, they could probably just not do March slash April, add more teams on the back end, and then everyone's going to end up being happy about it when we get to the end of it because the players will be back. There'll be exciting baseball. And the randomness of the playoffs will be there and available for all of us. But the owners are like, yeah, we'll do that. But we're doing it as a negotiation tactic. And not looking at what the underlying problem is. And the underlying problem is, you probably have too many games. Like, honestly, 60 games was not enough. Like, 75 is... Is was my bottom line in the COVID season. I was like, 75 seems more realistic. If they went to 100, thumbs up. I'm fine with that 100. And it sounds like you probably need like a stunt double or something like that to go watch the games or something like that. That's probably what it sounds like because you ain't got time to watch the games. I, I mean, I, I do, but first of all, the TV broadcasts are really good. But even if you're, look, what we do is different. Obviously, I need to be watching the game so I can talk with the people about it. But even if you're even if you're an ordinary fan of the game, if you are a season ticket holder over on the South Side or at Wrigley, it's a lot. Like there's a there's a lot of juggling that you have to do. And if your team isn't real good, it's different now on the South Side. That team's gonna be real good. But if you're a Cup fan and you're sitting there with season tickets, you're like. Mm. Okay, when are the Cardinals in town? I'll go deal with that nonsense. And then what? Are the Yankees coming to town? When are the White Sox coming over? When's Milwaukee coming down? But that middle week game, middle of the week game against the Padres, you're like, do I really need to go to the ballpark and be there until 11 o'clock at night? Mm, Probably not. Now, maybe this is a product, Brandon, of me getting older. 
maybe it's a product of me being like, I'm good. Like, I don't need to be out in these streets that late on a school night. I'm willing to hear that criticism of it. But I feel like all of us, with exceptions, there are some people like, it's got to be 162. So let me say, I think a majority of us are like, no, y'all season is too long. You can text me and let me know, and you can hit me up on Twitch. I I just feel like all of it, like now, where we're at and the options that we have. Now, there are nights, like last night would have been a perfect night for a ball game. I wasn't doing blank. And I was sitting there going, I don't feel like watching the rest of these NBA games. And LeBron made sure that you didn't want to watch the end of that game. Goodness gracious, the Lakers are terrible. Last night would have been a great night for a baseball game. But it was also still February. The NBA, the the NCAA tournament is coming. The NBA playoffs is on its way. And finally in Chicago, we've got an opportunity for that. So I'm like totally good. I know that this is a gambit that the owners are running. Like this is game that they're running about, well, we're cool with no first month of the season. I think most fans in cities like this, in places where it isn't temperate, yeah, we'll see you in May. But how they're going about giving us something that I think baseball fans want is duplicitous and kind of sneaky and it's got bad tendencies to it. It also sounds like, too, you in favor, like you said, the doubleheader, seven innings, like games too long too. Like I don't want to sit there and watch four hours of baseball at night, at Monday through Friday or through Saturday every day. I don't, I, I can't. Me, my best friend Afia, Herbie, our friend Alicia, we went to a doubleheader. Okay, this was years ago. It was it was ridiculous. It was one of those days where it, the team was wasn't coming back to Chicago, so the White Sox had to to do a doubleheader with them. And you know me, I love baseball. The f- I want to say the White Sox were down two separate times in the game by 10 runs. Like, they were down like 11 to, to nothing, and then they rallied, and it was 11 to 8, and then later on, it was 20 to 12 or something. I, it was really bad. The first game took... Four and a half hours. Because there was run score. And me and Afia were like, you know what? I will catch the nightcap later. Because I've been out here baking in the sun. Ain't nobody got time for that. These are the points. Herbie and Alicia stayed. Which is ridiculous. Because you didn't have the 30 minutes in between. So it legitimately was, am I going to spend the whole day at the ballpark? Bring on all the seven-inning doubleheaders you can. Expand the rosters. Pay the players more. But let's stop lying about, man, we really want this 162. Because the owners truly don't. And the way that they're camouflaging it is, is foul. But come on, man. We're all like, get on with it. We're all sitting there hitting the button, the wrap it up button. Wrap it up, B. 
postseason, we'll sit through those nonsense four-and-a-half-hour games if our team is in it because baseball is now regional and not national. We'll sit through the White Sox and the Astros playing all day. Why'd your game start at one, and why did it end at six? And it wasn't extra innings. So when they take away the game that we love, and it's hard whenever you love something that someone else owns, when they take away the game that we love, and we are, we're already, oh, opening day. Oh, we've missed out on March 28th, opening day. Here's the thing. March 28th, opening day, sucks. Unless you're in San Diego or in Miami. In Miami, it sucks because Miami's terrible. Shout out to Derek Jeter. Or Arizona, which has a terrible ballpark. In most of these places, a March 28th opening day stinks. So if you want to make it May 1st, Please, please, but stop lying about it. Stop lying about, well, you know, we've got to save this 160. No, you don't. No, you don't. There wouldn't be a revolt. Tim Anderson walks out of there on 35th and Shields. You know what we're going to do? We're going to stand up and clap. You know why? Because Tim Anderson is the man, and we want to see him play. But ain't nobody got time for all of this. Ain't nobody got time for that. I just said that. I got a, a, a DePaul stat that's going to blow your mind. I'll share it with you next here on The Score. You better wrap it up. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I know that DePaul basketball is kind of my cross to bear. And I occasionally throw it on you and say, hey, this is what's going on with DePaul basketball. Something, yesterday was a really great day for DePaul basketball. Like men and women. Let me start with the women. Anisha Morrow, it's a name that you need to remember. She scored 41 points and had 18 rebounds. She's been a monster all season and will probably be the national freshman of the year. But she had 41 points and 18 rebounds in the game. On the men's side, DePaul finds itself at the end of February a 500 basketball team. And I know you're thinking, so what? So let's dance. They're 14 and 14. This is the crazy part. This was the stat that I was going to tell you about. DePaul hasn't had a month of February like this in 15 years. They went four and four. In the month of February, which means they went four and four in the Big East in February. That hasn't happened since 2006, 2007. It's been crazy. Javon Freeman Liberty has been so good for DePaul. Player of the week this week, 39 points for him. I'm not here to tell you that I am all about DePaul winning the Big East tournament because I'm not. But for the first time in a long time, They're actually a team that you don't want to play in the first round of the Big East tournament. On the women's side, they're the fourth team in the Big East, so they're they're fine, and they're going to the NCAA tournament. But can you believe that? DePaul basketball might be interesting in March, kind of. I'll talk with Parkins and Spiegel next here on The Score.
TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.